At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 111, The Benedante. Yeah, I'm so excited. You'll see why I'm excited once you get into the episode, but this is a topic that I kind of rediscovered in my own life, and I'm excited to teach you all about it. Yes, this was super fun for me. It reminded me of one of my favorite books that I've read in recent memory, and I had really fucked up dreams the night after we recorded it. So, you know, it's a great episode of Spirits. It's only a good episode of Spirits if you have nightmares afterwards. That's very true. But you know who's exempt from nightmares? Uh, Is it our new patrons? Yeah, Rebecca, Haley, and Gemma, welcome. I'm so glad that you got the protective charms that we sent. Uh, And our supporting level producers, Philip, Eeyore, Vinny, Danica, Marissa, Sammy, Josie, Amara, Neil, Jessica, Phil Fresh, and Deborah. And they have great dreams. But you know who has amazing dreams? That would be our legend level patrons, Jordan, Jess, Sarah, Zoe, Sandra, Audra, Mercedes, Jack Marie, and Leanne. Heck yeah. There's just like always cute animal human hybrids, if that's what you're into. And just like really good food, but not like underworld food or fey food that makes you live there. Just like good food in your dreams. Lots of fennel. You'll see why <laughs> You'll that's funny. You'll get it. You'll get episode. it. Uh, Jill, speaking of, uh, of fennel and herbs, what were we drinking this episode? I mean, I just poured us a really nice dark Chianti because it seemed appropriate with the episode. And we haven't had just like some straight wine in a while. That's true. That's true. Our friend Emma on the pairing podcast makes me want to be better and drink more wine every time I listen. So it was very welcome to me. Yes, absolutely. Check out pairing and also check out our recommendation for this week. It is the new mythology podcast from Parcast called Mythology and is a deep dive into history, origins and meaning of myths. Yeah, they have a cast of voice actors to kind of bring each myth to life, which is really cool. And then they do talk about stuff like, you know, how myths resonate in our lives today. Yeah. And like how our ancestors saw the universe. And uh, they're actually their episode about uh, Athena is out right now, which I highly recommend. Uh, And you can look forward to episodes about Loki, the Epic of Gilgamesh, Osiris and Isis. So, yeah, we thought it would be really up your alley. And you can find that. It's just called Mythology in any podcast app. If you like uh, feeling good in your body, um, whether that's in your mind or the clothes that you wear, I have good news. Our sponsors this week are Calm and Stitch Fix, and we'll tell you more about that later in the episode. But you can go to calm.com slash spirits for 25% off a premium membership, or you can go to stitchfix.com slash spirits for 25% off when you keep your whole box. I love when that uh, that little parallel happens. Makes me check my notes to make sure I didn't get something wrong. Like, everything's 25. What's new and exciting in the multitude world, Amanda? That's a great question. So we have a bunch of events coming up, which we told you about last week. But also, there's some good stuff happening on the pods. We have some fun stuff in store for spirits, which we're going to tell you about as it happens. Um, I was on Potterless to kick off Deathly Hallows, which honestly, it feels like an accomplishment that my life has been building toward to be able to say, Mike was like, okay, let's open up chapter one. And I was like, wait, Mike, there's an epigraph. So let's talk about the epigraph. 
it's very exciting to do like close reading and yell about symbolism. So check out Potterless this week. You're really going to love it. I promise. Also, you should check out Join the Party this week because they just started a new arc and I'm very excited about this new arc. I know. Me too. It's it's like big changes and excitement, but the same Join the Party that you know and love. And also maybe you might hear, I don't know, a familiar voice coming up soon. Ooh. I don't know what you're talking about. Weird. Weird. So yeah, search for Multitude in your podcast app. Waystation is also doubling our output. We're doing two episodes of Lost Girl per episode of Waystation, so we can binge even faster with our audience. So good stuff happening in the multiverse. Sweet. Multiverse. I kind of like that. And horse is great. Oh my gosh. This week's story, I I can't get over. (gasps) Yes, I am very, very excited. So let's get into it, Amanda. Yeah, and uh, look up Multitude in your podcast app. You can check out Potterless, Join the Party, Horse, Waystation, and us, obviously. So I think we've given you enough podcast recommendations to get you through the next week until New Spirits comes out. So enjoy episode 111, The Ben and Dante. So Amanda, it's it's been a while since I feel like I've done some actual historical research. Like I was a history student once upon a time. I used to do historical research all the goddamn time. You were even in a history club in addition to your history major because you're a big, big nerd. I was. I helped found the history club. Yeah. In like in like a passing thing. It was not my baby, but I was one of the founding members. Amazing. I love it so much. Uh, And it's not like I don't love researching mythology and folklore because I absolutely do. You know, sometimes I miss those sweet primary sources and first person accounts and human interest stories. You know what I mean? I do. I do. Like, I'm sure you miss really digging into like the nitty gritty of poetry and literature for more than just your entertainment, right? I do. I really miss close reading, guys. I really love close reading. One time we read Ulysses for like a full month and then just talked about it in seminar. We we like analyze one page for like three hours. And when I die, I hope heaven looks like that. I love it. I also like that your idea of heaven is like really specific book club. <laughs> it is. It is. That doesn't surprise Yeah, me. book club where we all read the book and we meet a lot of times and talk about like the use of comma and color motifs. <laughs> I love it. That's you. why my recent appearance on, on Potterless was me being like, let me close read the epigraph. Yeah. And uh, then tracing like color symbolism and whatnot. You're adorable. Also, this is why Thanks. I pepper in poetry for episodes every now and again just because i know you're so nice to me because we're friends baby we're friends thanks so lately the witch trials that were spread across the u.s and europe have kind of been on my mind maybe it's because we talked about persecution and misogyny in the Rangda episode a while back or maybe i've just been seeing a lot of references to them in pop culture and podcasting lately it just it reminded me of one of the more interesting witch trial stories that i came across when i was an undergrad the benedanti oh so now the benedante are a group of witches from northern italy my people Yes, thank you. (laughs) Uh, And their name literally translates to the Good Walkers. Uh, And they are some of the most interesting groups of witches that I've come across from a historical perspective. And one of the reasons that we know so much about them is because they were written about a lot during the witch trials that were run by the Italian Inquisition during the 16th century. I don't know a lot about these, so I'm going to be really curious to hear what you research. Yeah, Um, so I think we're actually going to mix things up a little bit in this episode. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story of sort of like the end of the Benedanti uh, before I actually tell you about them. And then we're going to fill in the blanks at the end. 
Oh, yeah. So their first real appearance, according to Italian legal records of the Benedante, was a man named Paolo Gasparotto. I'm going to do a lot of Italian accents this episode. I was just going to say, I'm really happy that you can frolic freely through this field of pronunciation because your name is... I'm absolutely still going to get most of these wrong, but I'm going to try and I can put on an accent that makes it sound like they're legit. Listen, that's all you got to do in this world, man. Uh, So Paolo Gasparotto uh, was a villager uh, in a village known now as Giassico. Gasparotto uh, gave a charm to a miller who was looking to heal his son of an unknown illness and word got back to the local priest, Don Bartolomeo Scrabrizza. Very important name. Uh, Now, Don Scrabrizza was not caught up yet in the whole Italian Inquisition's fight against everything pagan and magic. Uh, He was actually pretty interested in the folk magic that Gasparotto was using. And so he called the man to his church so that he could learn more about the charm and the so-called magic. My brain definitely goes, it's a trap. He's going to murder you. So I'm glad that at least it didn't start that way. Interesting we talk about murder. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more at the end, I promise. You know, that's a great way to keep me interested is, is going to be like, there is a murder here and then I'm just in. Gasparotto came to Scrabizza and informed him that the child that he had quote-unquote healed wasn't actually sick but instead had been quote possessed by witches and that the child had been saved from death by the benedanti and he was one of the benedanti. Uh, the source also refers to them as vagabonds, which is kind of adorable. Okay. So according to Gasparotto, the Benedanti were witches who practiced witchcraft across the countryside around Verona, and they, quote, fought, played, leapt about, and rode various animals. Here is Grabritza's record of what Gasparotto told him in his own words in 1575. 1575. Dang. That primary source, though. Sometimes they go out to one country region and sometimes to another, perhaps to uh, Gradisca or as far away as Verona, and they appear together jousting and playing games. And the men and women who are the evildoers carry and use sorghum stalks, which is a kind of like cereal grain. I had to look it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, which grow in the fields. It's very trendy. <laughs> which grow in the fields. And the men and women who are Benedanti use fennel stalks. And they go now one day and now another, but always on Thursdays. And when they make their great displays, they go to the biggest farms. And they have days fixed for this. And when the warlocks and witches set out to do evil, they must be pursued by the Benedante to thwart them and also to stop them entering the houses. Because if they do not find clear water in the pails, they go into the cellars and spoil the wine with certain things, throwing filth in the bungholes. I'm seeing really interesting through lines here to like hospitality and offerings for Faye. And I don't know, I just like, there's a lot going on here that I'm really enjoying. Skrabitza is not exactly happy to hear that there's all this witchcraft happening in his area and that apparently there are good witches battling bad witches outside of the church's influence. So he reaches out to the Italian Inquisition to inform them of these practices. Uh Uh-oh. But... The Inquisition dismisses his report, despite the fact that he brought Gasparotto with him to recount it for himself. (laughs) And the Inquisition said that his stories were, quote, tall tales and nothing more. See, I was going to make a crack about how I feel like you never, like the Inquisition's never like, chill, thank you. They're always just like, murder! So I, I don't know, I got to give them props for being like, nah, not one of ours. You can give them props until five years later. Okay. Because five Um, years later. To be clear, I give no props to the Inquisition. None at all. (laughs) 
Five years later, there is an inquisitor named Father Felice da Montefalco. Beautiful name. So good. Uh, so he revives the case and orders Gasparotto to be brought in for questioning. Gasparotto, at this point, started walking back on his statements, saying he was never a Benedante, and he believed in God, but he was still in prison because he made these contradictory statements under oath. Yikes. Montefalco tracks down another suspected Benedante from the town, Battista Moduco, but Moduco was open about the fact that he was, in fact, a Benedante, and told how he was fighting other witches, the Maledante, in the service of Christ. Here is his testimony to Montefalco. I am a Benedante because I go with the others to fight four times a year, that is, during the ember days, at night. I go invisibly in spirit and the body remains behind. We go forth in the service of Christ and the witches of the devil we fight each other, we with bundles of fennel and they with sorghum stalks. Whoa. Man, that's so evocative. Yeah, so we're getting this slightly different story from Madoko. That the Benedanti aren't actually out there in the countryside, but they're going to fight evil witches in spirit. We also find out that they go on the Ember Days, which are the days at the beginning of the seasons ordered by the church as days of fast or abstinence. And these are also tied to Roman paganism, uh, the days that were tied to harvest festivals. So like solstice equinox situation? Yeah, basically. Um, basically, they were days that were converted from pagan traditions into abstinence and fasting days for the church to kind of dissuade the pagans from celebrating their religion. Lol, it's not pagan, it's fine. Except, yeah, basically that. So Gasparotto is interrogated again, and this time he admits to being a Benedante, accuses two other people of being evil witches, and was released to be questioned at a later date. Hmm. Both men were called upon again, and this time claimed that the devil had convinced them to become Benedante, which one has to assume they were simply scared of being imprisoned or killed and were just trying to repent. Yeah, it gets like closer and closer to the Christian narrative with each retelling, yeah. you know, as the pressure mounts. Yeah. So eventually both were denounced as heretics and were sentenced to six months of imprisonment, though both men only served two weeks before they were released. Okay. I mean, they didn't execute them. Yeah, they did not execute them. It is interesting. These men were not the only ones that were being persecuted by the Italian Inquisition and Montefalco. In fact, uh, for instance, Anna La Rosa though she claimed not to be a Benedante, said that she could communicate with spirits of the dead. She eventually revealed to Montefalco that she sold messages of the dead to members of the community who could pay for it and used the money to alleviate her family from poverty since she was a widow. Wow. Uh, She did not ever go to trial, thankfully, because Montefalco got distracted by other cases. So that was convenient. <laughs> Man, I got to tell you, this whole this whole like new guy comes in, looks over the records and is like, oh, fuck, someone missed something is so reminiscent of me being at previous jobs where you walk into someone else's position, you look through their files and then you're suddenly like, oh, oh, no. Oh, wait. Oh, man, there's like problems there that you that you can hardly see. And the deeper you wade in, the more there is. So I I like have a a tiny bit of sympathy because definitely I've been there before. Honestly, like it kind of reminds me of Mulder from X-Files. Yeah. (laughs) A little bit. That's very true. A little tiny bit. Not in a good way, because what he was doing was very, very shitty. But the idea that you like come in, you'd be like, actually, these cases are all wrong. Let's go persecute some witches. 
And you have a worldview, right? Or like a thesis that you bring. And so everything that you see in front of you, you twist to fit that worldview. Exactly. One of the cases that distracted Montefalco, which stopped Ana La Rosa from going to trial, was the case of Donna Aquilina, who uh, served as a professional healer and could see the dead and cure diseases through spells and potions. She fled the city of Udine when she learned that the Inquisition was uh, becoming suspicious of her actions, and Montefalco sought her out specifically. Oh, no. uh, when he finally interrogated her, he managed to track her down. Uh, she claimed that she was not a witch nor a Benedante, and, but still defended her actions, being like, yo, my actions are helping this community. I am healing sick children. I am making sure like people's like relationships stay intact. I'm making sure the crops yeah. grow. Like I'm, I'm doing good for my community. Like God would want me to. She's not like killing people's livestock or being naked in the woods. You know, she's she's helping people out. Not that there's anything wrong with being naked in the woods. No, I know that's one of the things that they uh, they talked about in Salem is like someone was nude and it was disturbing. <laughs> Nakedness. Oh, no. I saw a breast. <laughs> <laughs> I've never even seen my wife naked. <laughs> Probably not, to be honest. Okay. Then there was Caterina La Guezia, who Montefalco accused of, quote, maleficent arts, though... Uh, Though all she ever admitted to was that she used some charms to cure children's illnesses, not that she was, in fact, a Benedante. She did, however, accuse her deceased husband of being a Benedante and said that he would allow his spirit to leave his body and walk among the dead. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, good for you, lady. Just blame it on the dead husband. They can't do anything to him. He's good. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure he would understand. Yeah. There were also plenty of other dispositions in the investigation into the Benedanti. Uh, a midwife was accused of encouraging mothers to put their newborn children on a spit in order to prevent them from becoming witches or Benedante. She admitted this was true, that she was trying to encourage mothers to do this. Yikes. But many more people proclaimed themselves to be Benedanti. They were healers and anti-witches, and they were there only to serve their communities rather than harm them. However, the problem is this backfired on them. They started to try and draw the line between the Maladante and the Benedante. And so they accused more of their fellow villagers of being witches. And the Inquisition over time just started to ignore their accusations. And the accused villagers were enraged and their reputations and lives were ruined by those who they accused. Those people who claimed to be Benedante or were accused of it did not actually receive too harsh a punishment other than excommunication from the church or abjuration. Uh, but the problem is they kind of disappeared into obscurity following the 17th century. Uh, you just didn't hear about Benedante anymore. And I imagine, too, that part of the the Inquisition's sort of um, motives here are to increase dependence on on them. So if you take out the people in the community who are helping people with their everyday problems and healing wounds and whatever, then the only recourse left is the church. And so I imagine that as time goes on, we're talking about like 150, 200 years at this point, and the kind of societal dependence on the church's infrastructure is that much more. I can see how just the kind of presence in popular imagination of the Benedante would be less and less because the like systemic project of making people dependent on the church is working. Right, absolutely. And the thing is, too, once people start relying on the church in that way, and once people see that they can't turn to their fellow neighbors because, one, they might be accused of witchcraft, two, they might be accused of being a Benedanti, it, they 
there's like no winning in this situation. There's only turning to the church and there is no like outside force that they can be a part of openly. And I'm sure the like knowledge and training and traditions die off as it becomes harder and harder to transmit them. Yeah. They, it reminds me of an interesting story that I heard. Um, it was about a family who came over from Germany, uh, like either right before or during World War II. It was a, a family friend went to go have dinner with them on a Friday night. They saw basically that they were observing Shabbat, even though these people were like very openly Catholic and very openly Christian. And it turned out that they kept these traditions alive, but they had separated themselves from their Jewish heritage because they had to be in hiding during World War II. And this like tradition still maintained generations after. Wow. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that in the idea that like, even if the connection between traditions and identifying as a Benedanti kind of disappeared. I I can only imagine that the folk magic and the folk traditions that they practiced still existed. Definitely. On that note, Amanda, uh, why don't we go and grab a quick refill? Let's do it. Amanda, I was in therapy the other day. Yeah, therapy. Woo. We stand for therapy in this house. We love therapy. Yes. So I was in therapy and we ended the session with my therapist going, so have you considered meditation? I'm like, yes, actually I have because I have Calm and Calm is our sponsor for this week. So if you are feeling stressed or anxious, if you don't have coping tools, I highly recommend Calm. Calm gives you the tools you need to live a happier, healthier, and more mindful life. Uh, Five minutes of Calm every day can change your day entirely. I say that as a fact because it is true. Yeah, I have been doing the daily calm, which is their like short meditation that they put out every single day in the morning before I get out of bed because I'm totally tempted to just like pick up my phone, read my texts, like get into the shower, just start my day. But having that moment of just like laying there, thinking about, you know, whatever it is they're prompting me to do, feeling really like intentional. I don't know. It just really works for me. Yeah. And like, honestly, as someone who doesn't sleep very well or has a little bit trouble getting to sleep, uh, their sleep stories are wonderful because it's just like a very calm, like just interesting enough to like slightly hold your attention as you drift off to sleep and kind of lead into your dreams. It's wonderful. Uh, And they have like adult ones, but also ones for kids if you are like sleeping with your child. There's a new one about Australia and trains. And when I saw it, I gasped and adrenaline flooded my body. And I was like, oh, wait, I I super duper need the story now because it's Australia by train. Oh, my God. Incredible. I love it. And you can head to calm.com slash spirits for 25% off a calm premium subscription. That includes hundreds of hours of premium programming, like the guided meditations, like the daily calm, like the sleep stories. Definitely check it out. Yep, that is calm.com slash spirits. I'm sorry, we're Long Islanders to get 25% off the premium subscription, which I have paid for with my own goddamn money because I love it so much. Calm.com slash spirits. Amanda, you were you were talking about clothes before. Tell me. Tell me. Oh my gosh. I know you got I your know. Stitch Fix box. Tell me. I did. I got it yesterday. It was so exciting. So this time, Stitch Fix. Oh, first of all, Stitch Fix. They are a online personal styling service that sends you clothes, shoes, and accessories that fit your body, fit your budget, fit your lifestyle for all genders. Oh my God. Julia, this box, they got me. I'm not going to lie. I had a couple boxes there where there was like one or two items and I thought like, these are amazing, but the other ones, they didn't fit maybe, or it looked like something I already owned. But this box is a home run. 
I got a beautiful like creamsicle orange sweater <gasps> and it's so soft that I looked at the label and I was like, oh no, I can't wear wool or like alpaca or anything like it, it, it makes my skin itchy. Looked at it. Nope. That shit's acrylic. They got it correct. It was just fucking rayon or whatever. And it is so comfortable. I was oh. so happy to see it. There is a beautiful plaid shirt. There is, you know, one of those shirts with like the little like cross, like the little cross of, of strings in the front. Very yeah, trendy. Yeah. I, I feel like I don't know if those are always for me, but this one is beautiful. It's like burnt orange. It fits the the color combo so well. There were like forest green jeggings that look like a pair of pants that I remember you owning. You have like forest green pants. Yes. And I was like, hell yeah, this is for me. So this box out of this world, I am so happy. I never in my life would have like seen that sweater online and been like, I don't know, let me try it. But when it's in my house, I can try it on and not feel weird about being in like the Target dressing room. I wanted to give it a go. And it's helping me honestly be more um, thoughtful and more daring in the clothes that I wear. And I really like that. I love it. And clearly your stylist who handpicks these items for you totally nailed it this time around. Yeah, I am. I am very, very excited. I wrote like, I want the like, I want the like pop of color. I want to be like Ina Garten, but like with patterns and living in New York City and is 26. So I think that they got it super well. I uh, I just requested mine, which is coming in in the next like week or so. Uh, I was like, I'm going to a conference about podcasting and I want to look like a punk professional. And yeah. I'm very excited to see oh, how they interpret so good. that. <laughs> so this is all from Stitch Fix. You can go to stitchfix.com slash spirits to get 25% off the price of these items when you decide to keep all of them in your box. And if you don't, you can just send back the ones you don't like. It's really, really easy. They have the envelope with the sticker and everything right there. It's just the mail. You can just drop it in. So they make it really, really easy to send back whatever it is that isn't perfect for you. Yeah. And the shipping, the exchanges and the returns are always free. Yeah, so it's it's really, really easy. That's stitchfix.com slash spirits for 25% off when you keep all five items. Stitchfix.com slash spirits. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is your moment. Your moment to move forward and make progress. It's time to see where an education can take you. For over 130 years, Strayer University has been at the forefront of change, offering programs that help students like you get ahead and stay ahead, so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEF. All right, now let's get back to the show. So Amanda, we're going to dive in a little bit more. So who were the Benedante? Not just what we learned from the Inquisition's record, but who were they? You know what I mean? Yes, this is what I'm here for. So the Benedante, we know, claimed to travel outside of their bodies while they slept or were in a trance in order to battle with evil witches that they referred to as the Maledante, which means the bad walkers. The good walkers, the bad walkers. I love it a lot. So these battles would ensure that good crops for the season would come and that they would also stop the spread of sickness throughout the countryside. So protecting the villages. I know, like doing all the good work. Yeah. If you are a villager in 15th 
to 17th century Italy. <laughs> what more could you possibly want than not get sick and have your crops grow? That's pretty much it. And like have a very cool lucid dream. I'm, I'm pretty into, I'm into it. it. Me too. So they also acted as village healers. They specialized in cures, charms, and using divinatory practices to find out who among them were Maladante who were cursing the community. Which could backfire. Not my favorite thing, but uh, kind of kind of an interesting idea. And I, there is this like broader narrative of like, you know, chaos versus order and, you know, light versus dark, good versus evil, whatever you want to call it, that is ongoing. And so that kind of like ritualistic, you know, battling for good fortune. And if it doesn't happen, then you know why. And if it does happen, it's just like, you know, you don't win a war one time and then that's it forever. There's some kind of like, I don't know, just kind of ever watchful, like constant vigilance type thing about that, you know, four times a year battle that I think is really cool. Yeah. And we've talked about that in a lot of different cultures, the kind of like cyclical nature of battles that either the gods or forces beyond our mortal means are out there doing. So like, for- yeah, but Julia, this one is being fought with branches, that is which true. is great, man. I don't like fennel, but I like the idea of people beating <laughs> each other up with fennel. And I can only picture sorghum as looking kind of like wheat, which is just hilarious. It kind of does. I, I, I did some Googling. It kind of does. <laughs> the interesting part is Benedanti were born, not made like some witches in other cultures. Ooh. So if a child was born with a call, which is like a embryonic membrane yeah. that surrounds a baby, and sometimes it comes out with them when they're born. Right. If they were born with that covering their face, it meant that the child was destined to be a Benedante. So this is actually a really common omen outside of Italy and the Benedante. So like, I was going to say, I've heard of it before, sometimes as a bad sign, sometimes as just like a supernatural sign. Yeah. So like I was doing research for another topic and um, like seers and psychics and spiritualists that were said to be born with a call over their face are supposed to be like very in touch with the other side and with yeah. the like the astral plane i guess i feel like there's some mention of that in shakespeare too anyone who knows if that's true let me know i'm gonna but, google uh, it real quick i mean i know there was like the not of woman born thing where they're like you can do a c-section you can but oh apparently shakespeare's hamlet was born with a call there it is. Got it. Calls mean otherworldly powers in most societies, uh, particularly Western European. As a child, it was said that their spirits would leave their bodies on the ember days, as we discussed before, kind of implying that it's almost like a, like they don't choose to do it. It's almost like an involuntary like experience that they have. Wow. Like I I'm picturing now that you put the X-Files imagery into my mind, which is always open to X-Files imagery. Course. Let me let me confirm. It's like you're being beamed up. Like that's that's kind of awesome. And I'm sure also kind of scary. Like I've said before, I think my sister had epilepsy when she was little. And so you have these like momentary just kind of like you space out and it's like a, a mini seizure. Anyway, those are terrifying to see. And it sounds like this. Yeah. I, it also reminds me, you know me, I'm a big comic book nerd. It reminds me yeah. of like in all of the X-Men origin stories when like their powers emerge for the first time and they like destroy <laughs> half a city or something like that. That's what that reminds me of. Yeah. When their spirits would leave their bodies, sometimes they would take the shape of a small animal, such as a mouse <gasps> or a moth or a butterfly or a small bird. Small friend. And they would use that animal form to travel across the countryside to do battle with the Maladante, the evil witches. There's this great book by Stacey Schiff called The Witches about the like Salem trials. And it has like every single piece of uh, record and evidence that we have from that time. It's 
fucking so good. I'm going to read that later. Send me a link. Oh, to yeah. It. She also wrote a book on Cleopatra. Amazing. But the, uh, there were parts where people were like, uh, yeah, that witch was out in the woods at night. And she's like, I was home with my husband. And he was like, um, you were a bird though. Like they, they definitely used the kind of like transformation or taking over of animals as an excuse. It's just so, oh God, I'm sorry. Just, um, it, you were a bird though. <laughs> and it was, I mean, that's why, I don't know, like the book does such a good job of kind of establishing the, the like vibe and the kind of pre-existing like, social cultural traditions like why going to church was so important if you weren't at church it was like well what are you doing wrong then so anyway it's incredible and i highly recommend it it's kind of a bummer but there are those uh little moments of people being like um you were a bird though that make it all worth it well we did murder a bunch of women mostly women and men you know because like we thought they were different than us so yeah it's a bit of a bummer yeah i mean by it's worth it i mean reading the book and experiencing that bummer not the witch trials to be clear yes not not the witch trials not not worth anything really yeah uh, amanda does not endorse one inquisitions two witch trials and we'll talk a little bit about like misogyny and just like persecution of women at the end of this episode i am sure but that is an involuntary soul leaving the body experience for me when there's an opportunity to critique the patriarchy, you know I'm there. I love you so much. Okay. Ah, uh, so it wasn't just doing battle, though. The Benedante were tasked with uh, many sacred acts while in this form, in their, like, cool spiritual form. Uh, the Maladante would attempt to blight crops and ruin harvests, so the spirits of the Benedante would fight them off with fennel stalks, as we discussed. Uh, the Benedante would also travel to meet a goddess, sometimes known as Abundia or Arodiana, uh, and this goddess would lead a procession of animals and spirits. During the procession, the Benedanti could learn who in their village or community was going to die in the upcoming year. People always want to know who's going to die in the upcoming year. I don't want to know. I don't at all. I don't want to know. I'm very sorry. I, feel like, I just don't. I feel like it would give me time to prep. It's like, it's I mean, like. I want to know if I'm going to die. But I couldn't, like, if I knew someone close to me was going to die, like, I would be just uh, grief stricken. Like, I couldn't do anything for that time. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of like when you have a loved one who's in hospice or has a, a, a terminal illness that you know that they're going to decline within the next several months or something like that. Uh, it, it gives you time to, like, go through the grieving process kind of expended and not all at once. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, th that's just my my thought process for that. I don't know if I would like genuinely believe that in practice, but I believe that like that's that's some reasoning to some people. I hear you. And either way, it does give you some sense of control where you can't control, you know, when they'll die necessarily. You can't stop it, but at least you, you can prepare and you have some insight. Yeah. I, I do want to kind of end on this note that uh, some of the Benedanti claimed that as good Christians, God called them to their duties and they acted on his will. So like when when we're saying that the Benedanti were being persecuted by the Italian Inquisition and by the Catholic Church, they genuinely believed that they were being good Christians and good Catholics by doing this work. Yeah. And so... Yeah, and a lot of the things that you're mentioning sound really similar to saint narratives and the miracles that that get people canonized as saints. So it's it's definitely it must have been frustrating. Like if it's one thing if you just say it, you know, to kind of make good with authority. But if you really feel like you are doing good work, you're doing God-given work and the very institution tasked with like carrying out God's wishes on earth is telling you that you're aberrant, that must be 
heartbreaking. Yeah. And you know what? It's really interesting because I come from an Italian Catholic background and I know a lot of people who like are also Italian Catholics who like have the sight or like, you know, believe that they can speak to ghosts and whatnot. And like it reconciles with them. Like they can think that they are devout Catholics and also believe in that thing, even though the the church and like the Bible literally says, thou shall not suffer a witch to live, which I'm just like, and like the the category of witch during that period that that was written meant basically anyone doing magic stuff that wasn't associated with the Christian God. Right. But for the person, it's it's tapping into something bigger than yourself. It's tapping into the supernatural. It's, you know, channeling bigger wills to to your human life. Right. So and the argument would be made that God gave them this gift and that they have a duty to use it to help other people within their community. Yeah. And like I think that's that's a completely valid argument that apparently the Catholic Church and the Italian Inquisition during the fifteenth century did not agree with. Well, we are in some ways living in similar times and in some ways not. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Let's just finish out with a little bit of uh, historian perspective real quick. Oh, yeah. Uh, so according to Carlo Ginzburg, an Italian historian, the Benedanti tradition was connected to a larger complex of traditions from all across Europe that revolved around the idea of, quote, nocturnal gatherings, as he called it. Yeah. And was presided over by a goddess figure. He mentioned uh, Perkta, which we talked about in uh, Michelle Nicolaisen's episode, Holda, Venus, and Diana as these sort of unifying goddess figures. Uh, he also claimed that the Benedanti were a, quote, popular and archaic secret cult of fertility, though other historians disagree with that statement. Totally valid. I love when, like, when I'm doing research and they're like, other historians disagree. I'm like, I bet they do. <laughs> That's what they do. Everyone disagrees on everything in history. Also, I, I love all these like fertility, like fertility rituals and fertility practices. And I'm sure that is true for a lot of people. But also, I'm sure other people were like, may I please not get pregnant? That would be great. Like, can this just not, can this just be taken off the can table? Can we just have please? like not one more baby? I have so many mouths Can to I feed. have like one year not pregnant? That would be great. I am just selling spells and potions to alleviate my family out of poverty because my husband's dead. Can we please not add one more baby to the list? Yeah. Oof. To Ginsburg's credit, there are several other traditions that have kind of spread across European culture. For instance, the Armiers of the Pyrenees, the Dalmatian Kresniki, and the Hungarian Taltos, to name a few. They're all very similar to the Benedanti. Ginsburg also ties the Benedanti to shamanism in Baltic and Slavic cultures, notably the Livonian werewolves, though these were typically malevolent instead of benevolent like the Benedanti. Wow. So I, I guess... We, we were kind of talking a lot about Salem and about um, just like persecution of women and just people in general who are different from society. Do we want to keep on that train of thought? I definitely do. But I also have something that's a little bit out of left field. Let's do it. So I'm rereading one of my favorite books about business right now called Creativity Inc., which is a memoir from the founder of Pixar about uh, it's like a memoir slash kind of book about managing people. And so his question is not like, how do I make a successful company? Or like, how do I make good movies? The thing he's writing about is how do I create a culture where creative people can like take risks and give each other feedback and be honest and be supported? Because the goal of a, of a team shouldn't be not to fail. It should be to like fail super quick and responsibly 
and to be able to give each other feedback to like get to a great thing that you get to great things not by like planning them and making no mistakes but by being like scientists and experimenting a lot and then getting to where you have to be and so one of the things he writes about that i find really useful is the fact that like I don't know, when when stuff happens that doesn't go to plan, you really want to look away. Like that is really the first instinct. And when you fail, you feel ashamed and you want to hide it. Brené Brown talks about this too in her kind of like writings about shame. Um, And to me, they're so tied together because, you know, if I make a mistake, like as a boss, the last thing I want is to go to the people that I've inconvenienced and be like, hey, hello, you know, I am your boss. And also I fucked up. Like it just it just feels like you want to hoard it and hide it and like secret it away. But the thing that he's encouraging people to do in the book is is to like, I don't know, it's useful. It's data. Like in, in scientific experiments, if you start an experiment knowing the answer, then you're doing a bad experiment. Like you're supposed to like venture into the unknown, right. see what you find and kind of come back. And so I kind of see a similar level of like reactionism, you know, to look at people who are doing things that maybe aren't sanctioned, you know, that maybe you wouldn't do. And instead of approaching a a thing you don't understand with the question like what can I learn from this you say like how can I make this go away or how can I not deal with a thing that frightens me or that I can't categorize well or that brings into question a worldview I already had and probably that was their job (laughs) you know like I, I understand how they were given a mission and I know that life was complicated and that everyone probably thought they were doing the right thing um but that's that's something that I'm always trying to do better is to say, if I don't understand something or it makes me mad or it makes me feel ashamed, not like, how do I shove this away from me and never look at it again? But how do I like sit with this, feel my feelings, learn a lesson, and then like, thank it for what it taught me and move on. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's interesting to kind of look at the perspective of the church as one of xenophobia, and then kind of think about how best we can act against that and act, as you said, from a place of how do I understand this? What can I learn from this rather than how do I make this thing I don't understand go away? Yeah. And about centralized power versus distributed power. When you have people in a community that can solve problems for themselves, that is good. And like, yes, it lessens their dependence on the central power structure. And yes, it's like dangerous in the sense that people are acting without like, you know, micromanaged oversight. But that's better. Like it's more, it makes for more resilient communities. It it makes for like better solutions. Like people were probably doing great medicine and then the church is like, nope, pray. And uh, then knowledge perhaps was set back. Um, So I I don't know, like it's, you know, thinking again about like, if you, if you're a boss of a team or if you're in an organization with people and folks are like doing things that I don't know about, you know, it's it's my instinct to be like, tell me what's happening so I can help make sure no one makes mistakes and no one suffers. But my instinct should instead be, how do I set people up for success? How do I make them feel safe to ask for help? And, you know, how do I like turn my attention inward instead of outward? Yeah. And like, honestly, when you think about it as like a tactile thing, um, any support system is better when there's multiple supports that are all even rather than one support that could potentially fail. Because if one support fails, then the rest of them can still hold the other up. It reminds me of the uh, the bed of needles experiment or the bed of nails experiment from physics. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Basically saying like, if you put a balloon on a bed of nails with a lot of nails dispersed, 
the balloon won't pop. But if you put the one balloon, you put the balloon on the one nail, it's absolutely going to pop. So I, I like the idea that socially we should probably allow people like more independence rather than centralize things. Yeah. And I like that reminds me too of, of like trusses and bridges, like the more the more smart supports you have at strategic places, the better. Um, and I don't know, I've been reading a lot about like uh, restorative justice and like different kind of approaches to, you know, helping people who commit crimes not to do that anymore and to process the the trauma that they probably have gone through statistically. Um, and it's just it really is all about like resourcing people, giving them the the tools that they need to live like robust lives and to make choices for themselves and, and to help out. Um, and it's only when like there are these environments of fear and scarcity and blame and, you know, needing to, to get ahead for your own safety in a way that means putting others down um, that you start to run into into trouble. Yeah, I, I think that's entirely valid, oh, man. I'm just I'm thinking a little bit more about um, how culturally we kind of we we like to consider ourselves that we've moved from like being more understanding and being more open to certain things. But if you look at history from like that perspective, we were like open and super cool with a bunch of stuff for a while. And then we got real not cool about a lot of stuff really quickly. Yeah, it's it like it's a wave. It's a cycle. Yeah. And I, I want to think of like ways that we can break the cycle. Because if we look at the Benedanti, like clearly they were just creating a culture where they could be successful and also like lift up their community and lift up their like fellow villagers and stuff like that. And I think that even if we're thinking of it like from a small grassroots perspective like i want to i want to kind of meditate on the idea of how we can better help our societies and our communities like in small ways that we wouldn't be able to achieve from a larger scale yeah and that actually reminds me uh former guest jolie kerr who came onto the show to talk with us about tarot um just published an article in the new york times uh last week reviewing this book by Sophie Hanna called How to Hold a Grudge. And it's all about how like when you get when like Hannah's uh, kind of worldview or definition of the word grudge is not like I hold on to a sense of being wronged and just like it makes me angry all the time whenever I look at it. But instead, she's saying, like, how do you turn a grudge into a lesson? Like, how do you say this person wronged me in a way that was like big or small or like lasting or fleeting, but it taught me something and the anger is signifying something to me. So how do I turn that instinct to be like, fuck you guy forever into a story that helps me be better and teaches me a lesson and like informs my behavior for the future? Um, And it was just like, I don't know, I think Jolie did a great job of kind of summarizing it. And there were a couple really just like useful steps for me um, to say like being angry isn't my fault and being wronged isn't just like a tragedy that I can never learn anything from. Um, But it's an opportunity, you know, like anger is an opportunity. um, And I want to get better at like, letting myself dwell in that um, and not just feeling bad for feeling a feeling um, and, and to say, you know, how do I, how do I, again, like look inward and be introspective instead of pointing blame outward or how do I like look deeper at a thing or a person that frustrates or disappoints me and extend them more empathy instead of more judgment. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was a great note to end on. I think also 
fucking people are great. I love witches. I love herbs. I love I love little little bird friends that you fly away on to fight evil with with fucking sorghum. So good. So I would encourage our listeners this week to grab your fennel stalks, think about what animal you would turn into as your spirit leaves your body, and think about how you, in little ways, can make your community a little bit better. And remember to stay creepy. Stay cool. Thanks again to our sponsors for the week. Calm.com slash spirits will get you 25% off a premium membership on this number one app for meditation, mindfulness, and sleep. And Stitch Fix, the online personal styling service, will give you 25% off when you keep your whole box of accessories, shoes, and clothes at stitchfix.com slash spirits. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.